1: Welcome in Rose City to the Soccer Made in Portland podcast. Your two hosts, Ryan Clark and Chris Reifer, met each other in real life for the very first time yesterday. Wednesday at the U.S. Open Cup match, he was taller than I expected. It's it's <laughs> it's an unbelievable moment for the pod. And and as Bill Oram noted to us uh, via text message, a sign of the times. He he was a bit dismayed by the fact, that's right, Chris, that hey, we had not met yet. Hey man, I work remotely,
0: <laughs> so yeah, know, we all do. <laughs> that's that that's just how it goes. 2023. Oh uh, no, but nice to go from you know internet friends to to real friends while we while we talk to all of our <laughs> other internet friends uh here here on the podcast uh at some point you know and and I'm, I'm just saying this live to make us committed we will have to do a live you know a live taping a live recording uh of the podcast but you know th- that's down the road that would be fun I-, I would love to
1: do it somewhere where fans are hanging out they can be part of the experience maybe over at like the sports bra for a thorns game that's, that's out on the road there's a phenomenal idea right there yeah they putting it out in the universe and, and maybe I can do the work of actually setting this
0: type of thing up. That's right. That would, that would be awesome. Don't look to me for any of that because as I said, I work remotely. So,
1: Oh no, you work remotely and you're a very busy man. So I, I would never, <laughs> uh, never propose such a, such a, but plan. I will, I will come. Good, good. I'm glad, glad you'll be there. Um, we'll get to that game and, and the other Timbers game later on in the podcast, but we're going to start with the thorns. Uh, they pulled out a two zero victory, against uh against the Louis- racing
0: louisville rossing louisville sorry i'm I'm getting all my games mixed the, up the, here, it's so it, I- it, it's not hard to given that you have two teams in, in three different competitions over the last what five days so yeah and half that time i was just like sick and like delirious <laughs> and
1: and you know i I'd get back from vegas and i'm I've lost all my money and I come back with like an upper respiratory. That's right. disease, I chose a terrible
0: so. time to meet you in person. I should have given you like two more weeks to get over to like get rid of whatever Vegas gave you. And, oh, I'm fine now. Thankfully, it's yeah, just I'm just worried yeah. that the that the taint of, of Vegas just like lingers <laughs> for a while. You know,
1: I, I did feel a little greasy yesterday. So that that's I mean, probably that, it lingers. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to interact with too many people. No, that that match for the Thorns though on on uh, Saturday was um, imperfect. It was a, a, a very much as you said off air, like a team that had played three games in about eight days. Yep. but the Thorns were the better team. They they had the the far greater volume of chances. Christine Sinclair obviously starting things out early on her 60th career goal. She at that moment became the second player in NWSL history after Sam Kerr to get to 60 few minutes later over in Gotham Lynn Williams became the third so that was an exciting moment for for two veterans um and and stoppage time in the first half Morgan Weaver scores the second and the rest of the game just kind of played out how it played out and and the thorns you know got the result they wanted but you know weren't perfect aren't necessarily in their best form right now but an opportunity to to kind of get back on that train and and continue earning three points each week uh, with, with this match on Saturday coming up uh, against Angel City. So, you know, your takeaways from from that Thorns match, Chris.
0: I think that was really it. I mean, they they, they looked every bit as, as haggard as you would expect them to be, uh, given that they not only had sort of a three-game and an eight-day turnaround, uh, which is challenging in its own right, but that was also coming off in an, an international break in which a bunch of their players played a fair amount and or traveled a fair amount. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, I, I think you always looked at this game uh, uh, again against Louisville as one that was going to be more just about points than it was going to be about aesthetics. Uh, and it's a it, it is a literal win in that column uh, of points over over aesthetics. There were definitely some points uh, in in the game in which uh, the Thorns were uncharacteristically sloppy. Frankly, even though the the prior two games in this window were a draw and a loss, uh I think the Thorns played better in each of those prior two games than they did uh than they did against Louisville. Uh but I also think it's it's eminently understandable why that is. And so I think the fact that you have a Thorns team that has so many weapons, uh, that really helps them get through these moments. They're not just dependent on one player, although Sophia Smith remains transcendent, uh they're not just dependent on Smith to do everything for them. Uh, they have a lot of players who can score goals, so they have a lot of players who can make plays uh, and I think that 's what you need to fall back on in these moments in which uh, in which not everything is going to be firing on all cylinders and so I came away i mean first of all, just good to get the points because they'd left some results on the table earlier in the in, in this window that I think were had been pretty frustrating and you definitely don 't want to sort of compound that with another game in which you 're dropping results, even though the underlying performance um, would have merited a uh, a win and it did merit a win against Louisville the thorns were just better um but it's nice to get the points uh so that they they can remain at the top of the table which is where they are just ahead of both the rain uh the wave and gotham uh who must be closing in on their points total from last year uh with 9 points already through four games uh gotham uh re- really really uh really uh, besting uh their lowly 2022 uh performance. Um uh, but they they stay at the top of the table which based on how they've played is right where they belong. Uh but it's also fair to say that the Thorns have maybe been a little bit of flat track heroes so far. Uh they've played a number of teams that are that are generally in and not just generally literally in the bottom half of the table. Uh and so there is definitely work still to be done uh for the Thorns. They're going to have to prove themselves uh against better teams. Uh, but when you look at the team, when you look at the way they they're playing, when you look at the ease with which they're dispatching these lesser opponents, I don't think there's a whole lot in general to worry about. Um, interesting game coming up the, this next weekend with angel city, uh, here at home in Portland, uh, angel city is, is a team that I think a lot of folks expected to be in that upper echelon, uh, in building on year one into year two. Uh, it has not worked out that way so far. It's been a little bit of a sophomore slump for Angel City, but the recent signing of Julie Ertz, I think, is is at least giving some folks some hope that, that maybe uh, they are going to be on the rise. And so we'll see how yeah. that works out now. But the Thorns should be much fresher. You would expect them to be much sharper. Uh, and frankly, you would expect that this is another game that they're going to be able to put in the, into the W column
1: right and And you would expect eventually Kristen Press will be back for Angel city yep. we, we don't really know the yep, exact yep. timeline at this point, but that's obviously a major addition when she's back if she's healthy if she's herself um but but yeah, this thorns team you know they're they're just kind of chugging along right now the The question is can they round into some really strong form so that um they they finish the next few months with with the type of results that they they want right leading into this World Cup. We've talked about it essentially every week and so have the Thorns like this stretch prior to the World Cup is incredibly crucial for them in terms of building up those points and maybe eventually if if things go that way, putting a little bit of distance, a little bit of a cushion between themselves and the rest of the league. There's a lot of parody in NWSL. It's very hard to to imagine a cushion being created out of this stretch, but if any team is capable in this league of doing that this year, I, I think it's definitely Portland. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. There there are a number of players who played in this, uh, in this most recent match who aren't typically regular contributors. You know, Raina Reyes starting uh, was an interesting one. And I thought she was really solid um, at, at outside back. She's somebody that, um, you know, the, the team was excited about when they drafted her. She's somebody that, um, she had a few, you know, I'm a young player and, and I'm going to make some mistakes moments in this match. Uh, I think she got megged at one point, which was it pretty happens. rough, but it, it happens to everybody. It happens to the, to the best defenders in the world. So, you know, no, no shame in that moment, but she was solid. I, I think that, you know, the entire back line has, has been something that, you know, everybody, rightfully focuses on Portland's ability to just score goals with the best of them in the world. Um, And last year, obviously being the highest goal scoring team in in the NWSL, but they're the way they defend uh, particularly in, in space uh, is, is a big reason why they're so great. And all the veterans they have along that back line, players like Kelly Hubley and, and Becky Sauer run centrally, just, just holding it down. Klingenberg still doing what she does uh, on the other side. I mean, it's it's an embarrassment of riches, as we say every week, and, and that area is definitely no different. And it showed itself against Louisville, a team that, has been feisty all year yeah, hasn't got three draws no coming in so it's yeah. not like
0: this you know this isn't an, an orlando pride situation uh where where they just they're not competitive they are competitive uh and they are a competitive team and 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 you know i agree entirely i i, I think the thorns defensively locking things down and then getting their noses in front early made this feel just not particularly dramatic <laughs> right and and it was sort of one of those games that even though the scoreline never got out of hand never felt particularly in doubt.
1: Right. And, and I think that that has been the case in pretty much every match this season for Portland, with the exception of, of that Houston draw. Um, but even then, you know, that Houston draw w- was a product, not of, of the Thorns having a bad game, but just not necessarily finishing, you know, the, um, the green of the grass and the, the bounce of the ball or however it was that, uh, that Mike put it, but um, it, it, it's going to happen sometimes and they're still undefeated. There's, they're one of three teams in NWSL remaining undefeated at this point. I think that they'll potentially still be the only team undefeated at a certain point. If they, if they maintain their current, current form i well,
0: that's true if they if they continue yes. to not lose games presumably at some <laughs> point <laughs> other teams will lose games and they will be the only remaining undefeated team i agree there you go that that's that's they they I are they are not currently the only undefeated team although the the you know uh both they, i think people would be surprised uh it's not the others at the top of the table it's it's yeah one point Spirit. down washington uh and then uh and then the dash as well have not lost. Yeah, I think I think the Dash draw, a draw um, FC. They, the FC. I think the Dash have sort of taken over Draw City FC uh, status from from Louisville now.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and yeah, I I, I think it's very clear that that Portland, you know, is going to be fine. <laughs> I, I don't think that they're. It's it's hard to. It's hard to talk about. It's hard to podcast about a team like this, I think in some ways, because you get into to these repetitive thought processes, these same cliches, these, these ideas that, yeah, they're good. Yeah. They're deep. Yeah. They're experienced. Yeah. They're in good form. Expanding on that is, <laughs> is a challenge uh, in some ways. And, and, I think it's good to talk about individuals with this team, specifically uh, one of the individuals who might not get a lot of, uh, a lot of shine, but, you know, she deserves it as Bella Bixby. I, you know, the, the nice players game. in front of her defend very well, but she also had a very nice game against, against Rossing. Um, that that's a player that, you know, makes all the difference. It'd it'd be, easy for the thorns to be stacked everywhere else and, and just have a, a middle of the road goalkeeper. Right. But I, yeah. I think Bix, Bixby is undoubtedly one of the top goalkeepers in NWSL and, and really in the world, if you think about like, compared to, to the other starting goalkeepers in WSL uh, and in the other leagues around the world in France, I mean, it, she's up there. and And if it weren't for, for the depth of the, goalkeeper position on the u.s women's national team i feel like she'd be in the mix you yeah, know and, and, and I, I she's a local right. person yeah, yeah she's a portlander so it's it's all very exciting to see what she's been able to do
0: i think that's right and it, and it wouldn't surprise me if at some point she shows up sort of on the fringes of that discussion as well uh in in terms of the national team but yeah it's it's been a, a solid start to a season uh which is as she noted in sort of her post-game walk-off interview with the the, the thorns internal folks uh, is is not just credit to her but is credit to to the team in front of her as well uh, they have done a really good job of keeping things pretty clean for bella and when bell has been needed she's been there i think that one of the biggest questions for me to to pivot a little bit but to talk about another individual is sort of the sustainability of their usage of christine sinclair sink obviously scored the first goal she's been really good for them uh in the first part of the season frankly better than she looked at really any time last year uh it, it's been a little bit of a resurgence from sink which is both not shocking given sinks unmatched professionalism um uh, but also has been i think a you know a pleasant surprise uh for for thorns fans so far the question that i have is the extent to which that's going to be sustainable over the course of the entire season. That's not to question Sink's motivations even a little bit because Sink strikes me as the kind of person who wants to win every single game she plays. Uh, and so uh, it, it's, it really is just a matter of whether her body can sort of sustain both this kind of effort in NWSL early in the season, going to the world cup where obviously she's going to put in um uh, you know, a a very, very taxing effort for Canada and then coming back and trying to finish out the season. I don't know. Uh, I wonder a little bit if, uh, if maybe, uh, they, they should be saving, uh, you know, saving a few, you know, keeping a few pitches off that, that arm, uh, in, in maybe rotating her out of the starting lineup periodically in some of these games, I mean obviously it's a little bit of an odd time to talk about that just c- given that rotation was the case for everybody this last week. Um, but I do wonder a- if that's something that we should or might be seeing more of uh in the weeks going forward uh to in- to sort of try to make sure there's longevity to this this uptick in in, in production we've seen from Sync so far.
1: Yeah, I I've, I've had that question too like you know she she's playing heavier minutes than she did last year. And and she didn't really have any nagging injury that we knew of last year. It was just kind of a product of, of the situation. And, and it made sense, right? She's almost 40 years old. She's been in the, in the game as long as she has. It's, it's normal for a player to have reduced minutes to, to be in more of a super sub role, no matter their greatness at this age. But this year has, has kind of flipped that on its head, right? She, she's been a regular starter playing heavy minutes and, and, you know rarely being rotated out of that lineup i mean that's good for her in terms of ramping up for the world cup obviously canada is hoping she's fresh she's able to play big minutes and do what she does for the national team as they pursue a world cup title after that gold medal which she was obviously brilliant on in that gold medal run um a potential stopgap for for any fatigue that might be lingering for sink after this start to the regular season with the thorns. And then after she's probably going to be pretty exhausted after the world cup um, is Lindsay Horan, right? I, I think that absolutely adding, adding her into the midfield uh, is, is a nice little, Oh, that's right. They have her situation and, and she flawlessly jumps right into that role that sink has been playing. She'll be tired too. Let's let's not yeah. I mean, uh, words there she's gonna be tired after the World cup because the u s is gonna play deep into into that tournament but um but she's in her prime and and she if she returns to portland uh off her, her loan from leon and you know given everything going on with leon right now that that seems ever more likely at this point than it ever did we We don't know what her thought process is in terms of her career whether she she might want to go somewhere other than Leon or Portland once this loan expires, what their flexibility looks like in terms of her contract, but, but the thorns she is under contract. And and so, you
0: know, I mean, one of two things is going to happen. Either the, the thorns are going to deal her rights for presumably a pretty hefty return, uh, or they're going to get one of the, you know, top 25 players in the world back, uh, after the world cup.
1: Yeah. And so she'll, she'll be able to, You know, if, if sink needs that rest in the second half, which, you know, that that's going to probably be up to somebody other than her to decide because she's such a competitor, right? She's, she's going to want to be out there as much as she can, but you know, it's, it's about preserving what's great about her for, for the big games down the stretch and in the end of the season in the playoffs, Haran is right there. And, and. Nothing I have seen yet has led me to believe that she's not going to be in a thorns uniform after this World Cup and and back in Portland. She's she's got a lot of good friends here. Uh, she's she's been one of the all time great thorns. Uh, and and it would be a great move for her to to win first and yeah. foremost to return to NWSL and contribute to a team that is very likely to win a championship when this thing is all said and done. She's had her experience in Europe. She proved that she could play over there and play well and be a major contributor twice, um, twice. So it's, it's exciting for, for Thorns fans, the prospect of, of that being the replacement for Sink, who is, has been really effective. And, and it hasn't been like a situation with Sink where she's played a ton of minutes and has not been impactful. She's been incredibly impactful and has, has proven why they need to play her, maybe not need to, but have chosen to play her that many
0: minutes. The other question in the back of my mind, and this is, I think, tangentially related to the conversation about sink, is what the Thorns are going to do, sort of, with the backup number nine spot. Uh, I say it's tangentially related to sink because sink is at once both a possible uh, option there. Obviously, she has scored a lot of goals from that position over the course of her career, uh, so she knows how to do it. Uh, that wouldn't be a that wouldn't be a, a square peg in a round hole to draw on a John Spencerism, uh, but. It, it, But I I think that it that is sort of an obvious question going into the World Cup. I think Hannah Bedford had an opportunity to sort of seize that role and is probably in that role right now. I don't think she's quite seized it. Uh, I I think she uh, she has some work yet to do and it remains open. Is Morgan Weaver going to play more centrally uh, in during the World Cup period? Uh, And and how are they going to manage that? I don't know. Weaver has been awfully awfully productive even at times dominant on the wing. And so I would be pretty reluctant to change that. Uh, Yeah. She's a pure winger. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: think Izzy Dequil is another name to add into, into that. that She's somebody they believe can play, play high and center. I mean, it's, she, she's got that ability.
0: And Adrienne Leon has done that as well at various points in her career uh, in coming off of what has been a very, very good week, first week, uh in a thorns uniform uh i i think that was i mean frankly that was one of the bigger takeaways from this week is that adriana leon i i expected to be somebody who was going to come in and be kind of a depth piece um and she looks like she can be more than that a real contributor uh to the team is is how she looks she would have had an assist uh but for a handball call that i still haven't seen a convincing replay of but was nonetheless uh var used it to to nullify uh, what would have been Weaver's second goal. That would have been assisted if my memory is serving me correctly by Leon herself. Um, yes, it would. And, uh, and, and overall, I think it's just been a very good week. She could also figure into that conversation uh, without being too much of a fish out of water. Uh, but I think that's very much an open question. Uh, and obviously Leon wouldn't be in that conversation for the world cup period, but even, you know, before and after the world cup period, that's somebody who's going to play right your 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 second number 9 is somebody who's going to play pretty regularly uh and 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 pretty regularly get between 10 and 30 minute shifts just because of the the nature of the beast and the desire I think especially in games that aren't super competitive to keep some minutes off of Sophia Smith's legs uh and and I think that is an unresolved question uh for for the thorns uh, and and we'll see who sort of steps up to to take that. Maybe maybe Bedford will round it into a little bit stronger form. I don't think she's far off of it. Uh, but it, and 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 sees that, uh, or maybe it'll be somebody like D'Aquila. But uh, I I think that for me is maybe the biggest rotational question I have about this team right now, which is saying something <laughs> because we're not talking about a major hole in their starting eleven. Uh, we're right. talking about who's their second number nine, which. Like you know, compare that to the timber side. we can name five strikers, but is anybody excited about any of them um so it, it it's it's a very, very different conversation we're having on this side of things
1: yeah the if if the biggest problem for your team is who's gonna back up the m v p of the league? Who regularly plays ninety minutes and has a ton of work work rate and is just an amazing player. Who, by the if way, that's... through
0: four weeks is the prohibitive favorite to repeat as MVP of the league with eight goal contributions in her first four games. It's been insane. She she's been on
1: an even greater level. Yeah, than more even more last, season last year already, and and it doesn't even necessarily feel that way all the time, right? It feels like it's her her contributions have been great. We're not, I'm not minimizing that in any way right now. Eight goal contributions with this many games, uh, missing a couple games with US duty. It's incredible. She's had an incredible season so far and and you will find few people that are, are greater cheerleaders for, for Sophia Smith, even as a, as a quote unquote objective journalist than me. But even then it feels like we could have seen more from her. Am I wrong? Like there, it could have, it could have been even more dominant. That's how great she is. Even, despite the, despite the contributions that she's had in these, these first few games. And and she's on pace for b- blowing last year's numbers out of the water. Even though last year's numbers were great and led to her winning the MVP award. Um, it, it It's going to be interesting how, how that ends up shaking out from a numbers standpoint with, you know, the World Cup break, but regardless, and the like, numbers could MVP well, so far,
0: the numbers could well end up being otherworldly, but just watching games, you can see how the numbers don't even tell the full story. Just the way she, I mean, it's, it's Bo Jackson and super tech mobile kind of stuff. The way, the way she has the ability to single-handedly destroy defenses. That's why she has four assists, right? Because she now uh, has developed the ability to destroy defenses and create things for her teammates, which by the way was the knock on her last year was that she wasn't creating enough for her teammates and now she is uh because she she just absolutely levels uh opposing defenses and then her, her teammates feast on the tap ins that come from that. Yeah and, and and she draws so much attention
1: that she has now realized and this is part of the development of her game and the fact that by the way folks she is not at her peak yet. Yeah. <laughs> she she's 22 years 22 old so years she's old. still still learning on the field and yet still so unbelievably dominant right um she said in an interview this last week that she she hates being called the future and doesn't like she's she's the present i agree yeah. with that she is absolutely the present but she's also still developing and and this is a sign of that development right that she is able to go out there and distribute this way find her teammates and and i think she's already got more assists correct me if i'm wrong folks on the internet now than she did all of last season yeah internet friends which that's what you and me are but now we're real life friends that's
0: right that's right (laughs) uh yeah i know i i I think you're right or in the neighborhood of right uh about that and if you're in the neighborhood of right good enough for me but uh i I mean i i think that's just exactly right and the in the way that that her game continues to evolve it continues to grow and continues to evolve I mean, we're, we're just sort of at the mind bending, like what, what are the possibilities here point? Because the, she's right that the present is, is superlatively good. Uh, and so that just makes you look, and, and then you look at the trajectory that she remains on, that she's still on. And it's just possibility bending, uh, in, in terms of what the, what the future could possibly look like, uh for Sophia Smith, but I mean, the important thing for the Thorns, uh, is that that love is being shared. <laughs> uh, and, and there is, that is, that is cr- her excellence is creating opportunities across the front line, uh, and is making the Thorns just undefendable at times. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I think that is all very, very positive, but what happens when she's out? Uh, and, and I think we saw, some continued good play against Louisville, even after she she left the game uh, this last weekend. Uh, and I think that that is a positive. I think we saw even some solid play from the Thorns at uh, at the Wave uh, midweek in Challenge Cup. Uh, we even after after Smith uh, left the game, there were certainly a good number of opportunities for them to find an equalizer uh, it, late in that game there and 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 they remained in fairly good control of the game even after Smith left. So so I don't think it's going to be a bottom falls out kind of situation uh, when when Smith is not available for one reason or another, whether it's national team duty or just the reality of ne- of needing to to manage minutes. But it nonetheless remains a, a question to be asked because they didn't find that equalizer in San Diego, right? Even though it was a game that I think they certainly had the better of, and the XG numbers heartily support that. By the way, just as a note, I don't think we've had an opportunity to, maybe we did record after that last week, but I I did just want to circle back to say that San Diego's XG numbers in that game were like pretty universally around the 0.2 range. Talking about the Thorns defensive excellence, that's something else. That's a good team. And yes, they were rotating like the Thorns were, uh, but on the road against San Diego conceding, about a quarter of an expected goal, and they got the bad end of that. Right, uh, the wave nonetheless found one. That's something else. That's really, really good stuff.
1: Yeah, those stretches of defensive dominance that Portland has had this season, both in that game, and then you, you think about there were stretches in the KC game too. KC are no slouches. They they have a lot of talented players on the attack. And there now it 10, seems like their 10, their 15... coaching
0: situation is getting better and so they likely have some upside in terms of what we're going to see going forward rather than some of the rough periods that we've seen to date.
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, that that is only a positive for for this team even though obviously the the instability can be a little scary, but you know, there there were 10, 15, 20 minute stretches sometimes in that in that match against KC where the thorns were just inevitable. They were they Anytime KC had the ball, it was not for very long. And when they did have it, it was thoroughly ineffective in a, in a way that only a team that is in tremendous defensive shape could, could produce, you know, circling back to, to the Sophia Smith statistics. She does have more goal, more assists, uh, through four matches than she had in 20 matches last year. She's got four this year. Three all of last year, her, her stats last year, 15 goals, three assists. Uh, and that that was good enough for MVP, four goals and four assists uh, through one fifth of the of the games so far is nuts. That's and she good. she's she's liable to to toss a couple more to her teammates are in the net on Saturday. So, like, where does it end? Yeah, <laughs> the, the teams that that uh, want to pick up some points are going to breathe a sigh of relief come the end of June
0: once once she heads off for, for U.S. camp because terrifying, terrifying. Terrifying. Player. And, you know, I, I feel like we're having these conversations in parallel, but it's kind of emblematic of what makes the Thorns so compelling uh, at this point in the season. But turning back to the defensive point and even back to that KC game, even when the game got got away from them a bit at the beginning of the second half, how did they get control back? It was defensively. They got control of the game defensively, and then they used that to start opening up opportunities on the other end for Sophia Smith to go supernova, and 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 so I mean there's there's an interrelationship between these two things too. Uh, but when they're able to defend well, and when they're they're forcing opponents to take risks, uh, that only feeds into the the production at the other end too. And 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 so I think you've got to also give credit to both are just their their. Just integrity, their structural integrity as a unit, uh, but the remarkable leadership that they have uh, in their back six with players like Becky Sauerbrunn uh, and and Sam Coffey and and, and the like. And so, yeah, I, I think that is that is all what feeds into, you know, the feeling that this is another juggernaut Thorns team. Uh, and that's not to say that they don't have questions to to answer still. They of course do. And that's not to say that there aren't ways that the season could go wrong. There are a million ways the season could go wrong because we're only four games in, but based on what we've seen so far, this is the team that, that was very, very good throughout 2022 and that won a title in 2022. Uh, and it just looks back and maybe even improved in 2023.
1: Yeah. In, in conclusion, on this topic, as we wrap up the Thorns discussion, in conclusion, what a transition! They, they are better this year <laughs> somehow than they were last year. <laughs> Insane. Uh, a, a team that is not better than last year, at least so far, uh, has been the Portland Timbers. Uh, they they had a really nice result a couple Saturdays ago against against Seattle. Momentum potentially could have shifted at that moment and it kind of did, but it definitely did not result in points. It was, it was a two one loss for, for Portland and Cincinnati, a a game that, you know, if you watch it, you would think, Oh, the the Timbers were the better team. They, they had the better quality of chances. They, they looked like a, a real soccer team for the first time since that other than that 20 minute stretch in, in the Seattle match, they looked good. They, they looked good. in then that match, and yet not finishing was the bugaboo as it, as it sometimes has been, as it often has been for this team the last two years. And, and they don't get the result. And, and they were really, really leaky defensively, especially centrally, you know, without Zuperich due to COVID, uh, Mabiala seemed a bit over the hill. It's, it seemed like it was, it was, Somebody that it, it made sense that he had not registered a, a lot of minutes this season because it's, they just need somebody else at that spot. That's the whole reason why they were going hard for, for a striker at the transfer deadline. We'll talk more about that. They, they didn't get a deal done. Ned Grabovoy explained <laughs> that in detail and in, in a discussion that we had uh, for a story on dot live.com. But it, it's a lot of the same issues that, that reared their heads despite the fact that Portland seemed in much better form than they have been put together one of its more comprehensive offensive performances, despite just the one goal. Um, I think there's plenty to be excited about in terms of how Evander is starting to look. There's been a lot of criticism. I've seen it, especially online of him and, and his Latin internet production. friends. How could you? Yeah, how could the internet friends be so irrational? No, they they haven't been <laughs> necessarily irrational. They've just been emotional. That that's sports. I I get it to a degree, but also relax. It's it's yeah, it's pro. It's, it's sports. potentially going to be okay. But yeah, people people get the way they get about him and about other other subjects. I I get it to a degree. Give him some time though, and and yeah. I think Yes, I don't yeah, think anybody's saying this
0: guy's a, you know he's a terrible player, total mess. What were they doing? Throwing ten million dollars away. I think folks are just saying he hasn't been great so far, which that's a that's a just that, reasonable summary of the facts. That is correct.
1: And and <laughs> I think that the team hasn't either. And yeah, the team also th- hasn't either. Yeah. But yeah, this game, what when you look at it, when you, you think about the form they were in, what what's
0: stands out? If you strip away all the context And just look at this game. There's absolutely nothing to lose sleep over. There's, uh, frankly, a good amount to like. Uh, I mean, look, Cincinnati's a really good team. They're tied atop the Supporter Shield standings right now. Uh, Other than a literal tornado-delayed selfie that they took at St. Louis, in which they conceded five goals in their other eight games leading into, or seven games leading into, uh, this game against the Timbers, they'd conceded four goals, and they'd scored ten, which isn't an amazing goal scoring record, but it's a but <laughs> the 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 results were all there, and this has been to date a really 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 good Cincinnati team. So to go to Cincinnati to play as well as the Timbers did, uh, and ultimately come out, you know, on the the losing side of a close game competitive game because g- games can be close without being competitive, but this was a close and competitive game. I think in its own right would, would cause nobody any stress. You could be a very good team. You could be a supporter shield level team and go get that result and not be that worried about it. Cause it's just hard to win away against really good teams, hot takes. So I think when you, when you strip away all of the context, this was a, a a not troubling at all and and even in some ways encouraging performance this wasn't the pillow fight against the galaxy it wasn't the capitulation in in atlanta uh it wasn't the pillow fight against sporting kansas city who by the way are just awful just a deeply terrible team uh which i don't think i quite appreciated how absolutely pathetic uh skc was after that first week but they are just awful the last team in mls uh it was yet to record a win and frankly they don't look that close uh, uh i mean look montreal has two more wins than they do for goodness sake montreal has two more wins than they do <laughs> uh i digress but i mean this wasn't any of those performances this was by far the best 90 minutes the Timbers have put in all year. And, you know, I mean, you can say, yes, the the 20 minutes sort of at the tail end of the Sounders game was was better. Yes, they scored four goals in 18 minutes. That, again, not a hot take. But in terms of an overall 90-minute sort of, you know, start to finish, cradle to grave performance, this was markedly better than anything we've seen from the Timbers. They had plenty of dangerous moments. They were more decisive in the attack they've, than they've been. They used width better than they have. Uh, they were just more coherent uh, in, in the attack than, than, than they've been. Uh, and, and so there is a ton of that to like. But they ran back into a seeming brick wall that really has persisted since last year in which for all of the good moments that they created, for all of the moments in which they were dangerous and looked threatening to Cincinnati, they lacked the personnel to turn those into really ripe goal-scoring chances. There still weren't a ton for all of the good moments the Timbers had. There still weren't a ton of great chances. David Ayala should have buried a a diving header at the end of the first half that would have leveled things going into into the locker room. Yes, that's probably the best chance that they missed. But it's not like this was, you know, a matter of a bunch of really clear goal scoring chances that just went awry. It yeah, was mostly was a matter a of headers.
1: A- yeah, there was a few headers that including Ajalas, that that, you know, people will stick on. But at the same time, some of those headers came in situations that were very difficult angles that were yeah. not not super clear chances that, you know, it'd be hard to put pace on them. I mean, there it, it wasn't like they had like five different opportunities where you're like, that's gotta be a goal. There yeah. there were maybe one or two.
0: Yeah, I, I I agree. Uh and so the bigger concern for this Timbers team for me remains not necessarily finishing off chances, although I do have concerns about that. But I think there's the, the sort of precedent concern of whether they can even ripen dangerous moments into chances. Uh, and I think that was a bit of a problem, uh, in, in Cincinnati. Uh, and again, if you strip away all the context, I wouldn't be concerned about that at all because Cincinnati is a solid defensive team. They're a very good team overall on the road. Fine. Like, like there's nothing really to be concerned about if you strip away all the context, but when you bring the context back that actually is a continuation for all of the things that were much better in this game. That is a continuation of a problem that's been around for a while. And frankly, that looks like it might stick around for a while, or shall I say, frankly, looks like it might stick around for a while because, you know, a big part of that in this game was, I didn't think Frank Bowley was very good. I didn't think he was impactful for all of the dangerous moments that they had. It's not like he was, constantly a threat to be on the end of him it's not like he was constantly a threat uh to score a goal and it just brings me back to the point that we've made over and over and over again which is that it seems like at the striker position the timbers are just doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result bringing in similar profile players at a similar price point and that just it just hasn't been working so far and Bowley. Could very well still be in his acclamation period, not throwing dirt on him and his future by any means, but he hasn't showed it other than his 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 remarkable first impression in Dallas to save a point i I don't think he showed so far the ability to be a difference maker. I think it is very fair to point out that Evander looked much better and much more dangerous and was at the heart of many more of those dangerous moments than he has been in the past that's exciting that's a very good sign for the timbers but even as well yeah well and i mean he's been the one consistently dangerous guy all year Uh, and 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 i think he showed that, that he can be very dangerous within that structure even oh and so those are all encouraging things but uh, but I still have concerns about, even notwithstanding how many good moments that they're able to create through Revander or through Mosquera, whether they have the personnel to be able to consistently turn those moments into goal-scoring opportunities and ultimately goals. I haven't seen it so far, and it, it's a long-standing problem. Uh, and it very much was an an issue in, in in Cincinnati. I agree with you entirely defensively. I think they have, you know, I mean, they have two MLS starting level center backs, and then a pretty significant drop-off. And uh, that leads into the the obvious next topic of conversation, which is that the transfer window closed. And at center back, the Timbers signed. Nobody. Nobody. Uh, Which, I I mean, I don't even think in in your interview, Ned put much lipstick on this pig. that was a failure. They wanted to, right? <laughs> they were, they were trying to. They wanted to. Yeah, and Geo even last night added
1: added a little more depth to it in that they they thought it was going to happen. They they he used the word promise and then he corrected himself and s- said possibility. But it seems like they had somebody that they really felt good about getting it over the line before the deadline, and then the complications of making an international signing get in the way. You know, maybe an agent asks for one thing and, and that's a last minute ask and they can't make it or
0: something with his current club gets it, in the way. And it's we a don't complicated. Know. It's it, This is just a complicated time to take a guy out of a current club. Right. Because yes. most of them are within a month or six weeks of the end of their season. A lot of them are striving for something, <laughs> trying to get something uh, in those last six weeks. And so. Depending on where they are competitively, a lot of times it's difficult to to be able to get a guy. You don't want to pay a bunch of money, right? To Especially if a player is going to be out of contract over the summer. You don't want to pay a bunch of money to get him for a few extra, a couple extra months. So your your threshold, your pain tolerance for being able to pay a transfer fee is going to be pretty low. But very often clubs are like, Heck no, I'm not going to get rid of that guy now. I mean, how would you feel if the Timbers in the middle of September got rid of an important player while they were trying to climb their way up the playoff standings? Not good, and that's exactly how those clubs feel in, 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 in a moment like this, which which by the way, this is why teams often don't try not to leave their important business for the very end of the transfer window because it's easier to make a deal in January than it is in April. Because in January, those clubs can go out and make a corresponding move to replace them, or they at least have some runway to be able to bring in whoever the successor is uh, and get them established before sort of the stretch run. Uh, This is just a hard time to do business with players under contract, and most of the players you want are going to be under contract and playing and contributing for teams that have something to play for. And so it's just a hard time to do that business. And this goes back to what is uh, the, the point that I made a few times here, but I think is is an important point, which is this was a really important offseason for the Timbers. There were clearly, clearly some issues between the roster and the locker room and Geo at the end of last year that required some personnel turnover in order to be better this year. Just running everybody back, if you went back to october didn't seem like a particularly viable or a particularly wise approach which is why back last october whenever anybody from the timbers front office was talking to a journalist they would say this is going to be a, a, a an active offseason for us we're going to go out and and and, <laughs> and 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 you know we we're, we're going to be active this year This winter. And they belly flopped. And I think it's impossible not to look at the fact that last week they finally hired the person who effectively backfilled Ned Grabavoy's old job. And that for six months, more than six months, they've basically been asking Ned to do Gavin Wilkinson's old job and Ned's old job this isn't a big office. It's like three or four people. And so <laughs> when you look back at this ostensibly active off season that turned out not to be active, the only major signing they made was the one that had been in the works for months leading into this transfer window. And you ask yourself why that happened. You've got to look at that, <laughs> that, that they were, I mean, if, if, if you have four people in an office and you only have, if you're supposed to have four and you only have three, that's going to very significantly affect your ability to get things done. Yeah, and especially it's the that's same. A, it's it's yeah, especially it's a, true given that the person that they didn't hire is the primary person who's going to be going out and doing that in-person scouting. You know, I don't think I don't know if folks sort of. Recognize this, but over the last few years when, when, when Gavin Wilkinson was GM and, and, and Ned was technical director, I would bet pretty strongly that Ned was getting significantly more frequent flyer miles than Gavin was. And that's, and basically Ned is the guy who, who they didn't hire until last week. And so, yeah, that's going to really significantly impact your ability to go out and have this so-called active transfer window that you want to have. And that that isn't to let Ned entirely off the hook. Obviously, they 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 had ambitions for doing things and they missed. But I also think it's fair to say that he was set up for failure. And I think you've just got to look at the club leadership on that point. Why did it take three months? after Gavin Wilkinson was fired to fully promote Ned to that, which is really sort of something, the the thing that is necessary to allow him to go and build out the rest of his team, because nobody's going to try to apply for a number two job with a number one who might be gone in like a few weeks, right? They can't hire a technical director until he is given the GM job as a practical matter or as a formal matter. Why did that take three months? I haven't seen any explanation, let alone a compelling one, and I doubt there is one. That should have been something that should have been done within a matter of a few weeks if they were serious about this being an active off-season. Because you need to build out that team and repair your leadership structure if you want to be able to get those things done, and they just didn't do it. Club leadership dropped the ball, and they set set Grabovoy up for failure in this window by doing that. And then he in fact failed. <laughs> which may, maybe part of that is on him and and that very well may be the case. But when you set somebody up for failure, you can't just point at them when they fail. Like that is a bigger organizational problem. And it's,
1: and it's easy to, to, if you're, if you are in that organization and, and you have, have done this and that you you've kind of set net up for failure, it's easy to point to Evander and say, but Hey, look at this. And and I'm not saying that the organization has done that, that I haven't heard that, but that would be an easy out, right? Is to say, oh, look, we made a big $10 million sign. That this signing was on the five yard beater. line
0: before all this went it down, w- though.
1: It was, yeah. Gavin did all, all the work with Ned for that yeah. long before any any of this stuff went down. And look, the the Timbers on the field played w- with a not full deck of cards, as we have described it, for, for the better part of the start of this season and boy did it show and they talked about it and geo didn't use it as an excuse necessarily but he he vocalized it and i understand the the lack of desire to to vocalize that on ned's part he's not going to come out and say yeah Merritt paulson set me up for failure that's never gonna happen <laughs> right, right. <laughs> that's his boss man like that Regardless of organizational structure and the fact that Merritt has stepped away as president of business, that type of criticism has is not going to happen. Um, but but yeah, he he was he was playing multiple people down in in the situation, and whatever remnants of of what Gavin had set up, um, it's not like Gavin gave him a cheat sheet when he was fired. It's not like Gavin transferred all his contacts over. Yes, Ned played a crucial role before this, but for the last decade plus of Timbers soccer, Gavin Wilkinson for, for all the hatred that the fan base has for him and for all the criticism he has faced for, for very clear and obvious public mistakes that he has made. He was very, very important to the soccer aspect of this organization and, and him not being there makes it, more difficult for Ned Grabovoy. These are all not excuses. I, I know you're not making excuses. I'm not making excuses for for what Ned himself has described as failure. But it, it's got to be in people's minds, right? And and they're in, still in pursuit of the same center back. They, they have the idea in their head that they're going to wrap it up before or right leading up to the summer transfer window, get it done early. Try and get him in here as soon as possible. That would be great, but you are still going to play multiple months in like thirteen regular season matches with your current roster, your current rotation of center backs. Now, maybe you know Tyler Clegg gets an opportunity uh, as as another center back to come in. He scored a goal last night in that Open Cup match. It had a nice game. Um, it had a nice game, and Geo Geo praised him what we do know and this podcast is being recorded uh before this news drops but i know about it so i'm going to talk about it and it'll be dropped by the insider time this information comes out <laughs> uh no internet, internet friends
0: if you had been listening when this was said you would have had insider information as it is you now you just have public information so sorry. yeah if this was one of the
1: live one of the live podcasts then people would be knowing something they shouldn't know but you should know this. It's already out by the time <laughs> you're hearing my voice. Also,
0: also just just to like prepare people uh, because the build up here has perhaps been slightly overblown. This is not going to shock you. Uh, if you are standing up, you may remain standing because you will not involuntarily collapse to the ground. If you're in your car, don't pull
1: over. Noel Caliskan is going to be signed to the first team. That, that's that's happening today, and that's a, oh that's my a good gosh! For are them. you kidding me? <laughs> that's that's good i i, I am i'm happy for noel i'm happy for the team to add another midfielder without eric williamson i think that it's a welcome addition but it doesn't solve the center back problem it's not the signing everybody wants there is more to be done and and ned talked about it more in my interview with him and, and folks can go read that on, on oregon live but they have other ambitions they they want to sign a dp they want to sign a young dp as well on top of a center back. These are, I mean, we've heard this before, right? Like we, we heard have it several heard months before, ago, It the exact same ambition, but several months ago. And, and the can obviously keeps getting kicked down the road and fans are upset. Fans are impatient and rightfully so. And I, I would imagine that behind the scenes, like Gio and is also a good, impatient. Yeah. The, 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 the table is impatient because Gio doesn't have, you know, the personnel that he might want to, to really succeed. And, and that's not to take anything away from the guys that are here, but this is a Timbers team in transition. There are guys that are over the Hill. There are guys that were great for this club that are not the same player anymore. There are young guys that have either not panned out or are unproven and are not yet regular, positive, solid contributors for the team. And they have to make moves in order to compete in MLS. They're currently outside of the playoff picture, in an era where pretty much everybody is inside the playoff picture, save for the wooden spoon contenders. Right. That's right. So they're one point out, but it's they are they are markedly and visibly worse than the teams above them.
0: Also, by the way, miss
1: me with the like, hey, we got ninth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I know you hate that. It 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 ain't shoot, as you said. That ain't shoot at all. It ain't and and geo knows it ain't either like even if they make the postseason which is a strong possibility given the amount just of math, teams that right? get in it's, it's and just math. like ma-
0: mathematically it is a strong possibility
1: yeah like geo's not going to be satisfied if they get that nine seed and they just get bounced or if they get if they get that seed or the eight seed they they win that first game but then lafc trounces them. he doesn't want that the players most of them i don't think are satisfied with that result and I don't think the organization should either. I, I think that we've talked previously about the potential for there being a backslide that is happening or has already happened for the Timbers in terms of their standing and their station in MLS and continuing to not get these deals over the line, make the moves they need to make uh, it, it accelerates that backslide. They they're in the middle tier They that, there are teams that have come into the league in the last 5 years that have already surpassed the timbers in terms of of their station in an mls lafc is obviously the most obvious one but there are other teams seattle that have have put a little distance between themselves and portland and that pisses fans off they there there are a few more passionate fan bases in american soccer than portland timbers fans and they have not had a lot to cheer for in the last two years, both in terms of the very obvious and far more important off field issues, but also the product on the field for the Timbers is, is not living up to the standard set by this club many years ago when, you know, they, they were the class of MLS. They were what is possible with this league in, in developing something that, that, fans can be proud of
0: and you know i i I think ned's comments to you about uh about you know having flexibility both for the summer and for the subsequent winter transfer window are are well taken he's right both in terms of they have a bunch of expiring contracts coming up at, at the end of the year this year uh and they also have some shorter term flexibility both in terms of existing cap space since they didn't use it uh, but also in terms of their ability to to get some contracts off the books through the amnesty provision this this year, uh before the summer transfer window, and potentially even with a season ending injury designation. And so, like it, it, those those comments are well taken. But I think any reasonable person now, looking back at the last six plus months, would have to say, okay, well, it's great to have that flexibility but does the the club have the willingness to spend the financial resources that would be ne- necessary to take advantage of that flexibility and even if they do have that willingness to spend the money do they have the aptitude to go out and get these significant signings across the line now maybe the f- sort of filling out the front office now which has just happened in the last week will help them do that I think that is very much the hope. And 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 if you want to hang your hat on something to say they will have more aptitude to go out and get these things done, that's a, a, a good part of it. But it's not like this is a front office now with a proven track record of being able to get these signings done because essentially what they did is they got a, a nearly done signing across the line in Evander. They brought in a short-term flyer at number nine, in front bully and we'll see how that turns out but early returns have been pretty milk toast. Uh, and then they failed to get all the other business that they needed to get done done uh and so that's i mean so i i think there's a reasonable amount of guardedness about whether they do have that ability to go out and use that flexibility to turn it into additions that will get the team back up to the standard that it, that it set for itself uh and you know we'll see. Uh, the, the, the pressure is now more squarely on, on Ned. I don't think he can rely on the, or, or I don't think people can real reason, reasonably point to the, he was set up to fail points going forward. Uh, but they need to be able to go out and do it now. And, and, and so, you know, they didn't last time around. There may have been reasons for that, but, but for what, whether there are reasons or not now they need to do it because if they don't, if they have another window or two like this last one in which they fail to get their business done, it's only going to keep going downhill uh, and, and it's pretty downhill already. A nice
1: positive to, to wrap the podcast was a a little, a little victory last night for for the Timbers in the U S open cup heavily rotated lineup um, three to one over orange County SC, they will move on uh, the selection process uh, is happening after we record this podcast. So we can't necessarily talk about the next opponent, but a really, really compelling. And I, I think positive storyline out of that open cup match, which not much to be gleaned from that in terms of the team's form in terms of its direction, Whatever. It's a bunch of bunch of dudes that don't normally play a lot, including T2 guys. Uh, Kaliskan showed well, and I think is somebody that will be uh, competing for minutes uh, in the defensive midfield with, with David Ajala, with Christian Paredes uh, as as the season goes on. Because, you know, those two plus Diego Char is all they got right now. And and I really don't think Ajala is a natural defensive midfielder anyway, but that's another conversation. I think he can the big, be. but he's got some development think, to do. He's got a lot of development to do, but the more, um, more compelling storyline from that game was obviously the return of Sebastian Blanco, uh, 34 ish minutes. He was slated for 25 to 30. He played a little more, uh, moving pretty well, you know, better than it seemed like he was moving at training and the weeks leading up to it. Um, Still fiery, still playing at the speed that he likes to play. Had a slide tackle that was like uncompetitive, <laughs> and you and I were laughing about it at halftime. Um, and and after the game, he's like, "Yeah, I just wanted to add a little spice to the game," and and everybody, of course, cracked up in the press room. That's that's Saba. That's that's quintessential Sebastian Blanco. Uh, but but a really great story, and and I think that Saba should be commended for his stick to if you will, his his resilience to to come back because that dude was running sprints four or five weeks ago and his leg was so stiff that he could barely walk. And all of last year, and we've talked about this over and over again, couldn't play with his kids, couldn't go up the stairs, serious knee pain that was debilitating in his regular life and probably will be debilitating for the rest of his life because he chose to be an athlete and you know, knees are what they are. We're, we're a couple of guys that are, that are starting to get longer in the tooth than we might've been. <laughs> maybe, maybe you more so than me, but what? the, <laughs> but so we know about that, but um, Seba Seba's resilience, incredibly inspiring and, and a testament to, to his character, to, to what he means to the club. And if this is the last year for him, which it very well could be given the, the severity of that chronic knee pain, given that ramping up for a whole nother season seems like a pretty tall task for uh for him after the ramp up it took to get to this point. Um I would love to see him go out on a high note and and be a consistent positive contributor, be somebody that comes off the bench, plays 20-25 minutes and and ignites them when they need it in a game that they might be stale uh, and he's a good guy is a good guy and, and a beloved person in his community so I, I am personally happy for for him from last night
0: yeah it was good to see him back on the field uh and you know I mean as we've talked about before he he has sort of earned the right to be able to go out on on his terms and and if he wants to keep working his way back, then, then he should be given the ability to to do that until he can't. Uh, and so uh, it, it was nice to see him back out on the field. Uh, I, I, you know, I thought the, his 30, 30 minute uh, appearance looked exactly like you'd expect it to look, you know, he just hasn't played in a while. Uh, he obviously is still working through some physical stuff and there's still some ramp up there to do. Uh, and I, and I think you saw some of that, but he also had some nice moments. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think it was, about what you would have expected. The most important thing was just that he got out and he got thirty minutes under his legs, uh, and and hopefully that can be a springboard to something more positive. But I think that all remains to be seen. And so, sort of the the expectations level setting that I think should be done is is that this is going to be just kind of a, like we're going to see how it goes, uh, sort of situation. It's it's obviously one thing to be able to handle playing physically. Uh, it's also going to be another thing to be able to handle. Playing against better competition, that was not obviously a an MLS level talented Orange County team the that the Timbers played last night, and so that competition was moving at a different speed than St. Louis City will, uh, or any of the Timbers' next uh, opponents will. And so whether he'll be able to be effective is another question, not just whether he'll be able to be healthy, but effective against that higher level of competition. I think that all remains to be seen. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, I would like nothing more than than for it to go well. I, I would like to be able to see Seba, in what is likely his last season, kind of be able to ride off into the sunset and have some special moments to cap off what has been a special career with his club uh, and a special career overall. Um, but, you know, we're, we're just going to have to see how that plays out as it plays out. And and one more
1: piece of of injury news, or a pair of pieces, I guess, is that Jimmy Chara is coming back for uh, the the Timbers uh, in terms of availability on Saturday. The question is whether or not he will see the field. He didn't in the in the U.S. Open Cup match, but you know they they figured with with his contribution and his his importance to the team in terms of its regular season hopes, uh, probably better to wait for him to to potentially make his debut against St. Louis on Saturday. That one's at five thirty. Uh, on Apple TV app for free. I think it's one of the last free ones of the season in terms of not requiring MLS season pass to watch them. So um, the free stuff always comes early. The free stuff is probably running out here. And uh, Claudio Bravo has been out. Um, Rasmussen played some pretty heavy minutes at outside back, but uh, in the U S open cup, but he's probably slated for some more because from my understanding, Bravo is probably not going to play on Saturday against St. Louis. Uh, He's got a calf injury that he was about 50, 50 on playing last week. Uh, we don't quite yet know the severity of that. Gio has not talked about that. I did not get a chance to ask him last night, although I did promise some people on the internet, I was going to ask him. I didn't, I I asked him just just letting down your internet
0: friends left and right.
1: That's all I ever do. And (laughs) so that, that is remains to be seen going into that game. I, I would not expect Bravo to play. Um, But a pivotal one, St. Louis has been in great form. They've been one of the best teams in in MLS this season as an expansion side. Exciting for them, but but a little scary for the Timbers, right? Because you come off that game where you feel like you played very well, you want to get the three points or even pull a point out of this St. Louis match to feel like you're actually starting to turn a corner rather than feeling like you're gonna and then you don't turn the corner so we'll we'll see how that one goes yeah on it's an
0: important one one important note I think on the St. Louis side is no Joao Klaus uh their number nine who was pretty good uh in that game in Portland and has been pretty good for them he's going to be out for, looks like for a couple of weeks so certainly for this game against the Timbers and this is always one of the big questions with expansion teams uh you see expansion teams who sort of have and are able to put together a solid and competitive 11 obviously they've been more than competitive they've been very good uh but very often there's, there's a real lack of depth uh, just sort of in the nature of having to build uh, to build a roster. And so when they start to lose key pieces, as every team just does over the course of a year with injuries and the like, uh, how is that going to go? How are they going to, going to be able to, to manage those things? And I think we're going to find out uh, a little bit. Class has been huge for them. uh, And uh, I think we're going to find out a little bit about how they're going to be able to manage uh, that absence. Um, but look, you know, I mean, I, I, this is a difficult game for the Timbers. In some ways, it's it's a little bit of a game in which the Timbers would be happy with anything they can take out of it, uh, just given the the team's respective forms uh, heading into this. Um, but looking forward, I think the month of May is, is basically going to decide whether this is a Timbers team that's going to be able to make a bit more of a run through the summer uh, and into the fall, or if this is going to be a hard slog. They have five games in May, three at home. All of them are against lower half Western Conference opponents. So those are the teams with whom the Timbers are most directly competing in the table right now, uh, first of all. But they're also all winnable games. These are all flawed teams uh, that the Timbers are going to see in May. And so looking ahead at that stretch, I think that's a month, frankly, in, in the five games where the Timbers should be looking to take double-digit points. And if you're sitting here saying, hey, the Timbers don't even have double-digit points yet, yet in you know almost twice as many games, you are. Correct, first of all, uh, and, and 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 that is a reasonable basis for skepticism as to whether they can get the work done in this next stretch that that they can or, or that they need to. But nonetheless, I, I think that's sort of about where they're going to need to be uh, in order to be in the position that they need to be in when the schedule gets more difficult as they get into the summer. So, uh, I think these next six weeks are, or so are going to be huge for the Timbers, absolutely enormous, and are going to determine whether uh this is a going to be a team that's going to have the ability to you know to do shoot uh this year or 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 not um uh, and it would be helpful in the stretch to have some reinforcements but they do not and so they uh they they go with the team they have pressing on <laughs> that'll wrap it for us on soccer
1: made in portland for this week we'll be back next week to talk timbers and thorns uh, and whatever else pops up in, in our wonderful little lives. I, I will leave you with, with a, a positive note outside of the soccer world. There's a beautiful little bird's nest outside of myself and Emma Knight's house uh, here in Beaverton. Uh, it's it's some chickadees. We, we identified them as black-capped chickadee eggs. Uh, there are four of them, really tiny, really cute. I scared the mom this morning trying to look in into the nest. She flew off. Hopefully, she comes back to her eggs, and I haven't doomed them. But you know, that's yeah. That that is that's a positive. That that me. is
0: that is real potential negative on on this this, <laughs> this 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 what started as a nice heartwarming moment. It's like, well, did Ryan kill a bunch of baby birds? Tune in next week. I did not. They're okay. It'll be okay. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm keeping that positive energy in the world. Uh, I, I, the mom just flew off for a second. She'll, she'll be back. It's her babies. She's going to keep them safe. And uh, if you've got any baby names for, for the unhatched uh, little, little birdies, uh, submit them to us on Twitter at soccer maiden PDX at Ryan T Clark and at Chris Reifer. uh, We will welcome any and all bird name suggestions. Uh, Jill Farley over at PTFC uh, suggested last night that we, you know name them after thorns and timbers people when and if they hatch so depending on the number that hatch that that'll
0: that'll maybe be the approach exclusively diego and sink okay they're all just named that just two just
1: two diegos and two sinks okay That's that's fine sounds good uh Yep. Follow us on Twitter at those handles. Make sure to like, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Review us if you wish. Uh, any suggestions you may have for some segments you want to you wanna hear next week, we're happy to mix it up from the regular formula. Uh, and always uh, thank you for listening. We'll be back with you next week.